This is God's word to us tonight. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Hear what he has to say. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And because this is God's word, not my own, I'm going to pray and ask that he would help us to understand it. Father in heaven, thank you for bringing us together uh, again on a Wednesday night. Thank you for feeding us with good food. Thank you for pizza and for cookies and other baked goods. Thank you that we get to enjoy it in the company of these friends. And thank you, Lord, for wanting to feed us with your word, for not standing off uh, on a distance and for not keeping quiet. You have spoken to us that we might be able to know you. And to know who we are as creatures made in your image and to be made right with you. And so I pray tonight you would give us eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and a heart that's ready to receive and believe all that you want to say. Help us to rightly apply these these teachings to our lives. Uh, With your Spirit's help we pray. And in Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight's story is all about salvation. What Jesus has done to secure it for us, what we need to do to get it. And what happens to us when Jesus enters in? What has Jesus done for us? How do we, what do we need to do? And then what happens when Jesus enters in? What has Jesus done? He says at the end of this passage that he has come to seek and to save the lost. The Gospel of Luke is a story of God's mission to save the world. That story we saw many weeks ago begins with an announcement. A child has been born. And you'll find him lying in swaddling clothes, uh, lying, in a manger, lying in a manger. Who is this kid in the crib, we ask as we draw near. And as we draw near, as we approach, we discover that the kid in the crib is no ordinary child. He's the son of Mary, yes, but he's also the son of God. The second person of the Trinity in the flesh. And his name is Jesus, which means God saves. God has come to seek and to save the lost. To find us who have been running away from him and to draw us near. God didn't simply shout out good advice from heaven. Hey, you dummy, turn right. (laughs) He came in the flesh like a good shepherd to find lost sheep and to bring them home. And everything that stood between us and him Our sin, our guilt, our shame, our death, the devil, all of it, right? he has conquered. That chasm that stood between us, he's bridged. 
that wedge that has been driven between us, he's lifted. He has come so that we who are estranged from God, sort of on the outside peering in, might be brought back in. So that spiritual orphans might become adopted sons and daughters. That enemies of God might become friends and family and strangers no more. This is what Jesus has done. He's come to seek and to save the lost. But if this is what he has done, what must we do? Well, as this story reveals, we need to be willing to climb a tree. Or if you like, to go out on a limb right, for Jesus. You need to be willing to go out on a limb for Jesus. Verse 1, we read that Jesus is passing through the city of Jericho. And in verse 2, we are introduced to a man named Zacchaeus. Right? Behold, the text says, look at him, Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector and he's rich. Zacchaeus made his living collecting money from the Jews to give to Caesar and to give to the Roman occupiers. Zacchaeus, look at him, right? He's in league with the enemy. I want you to imagine that you are living in the year 1940. It's May, and you are in France. And the Nazis have invaded your country. And the Panzers are rolling into town. And I want you to imagine your next-door neighbor starting to work for the Nazis. And now your next-door neighbor is banging on your door, not begging for sugar. He's asking for your money. Give it to me, right? We need to pay for these tanks. We need to pay for these airplanes. We need to pay for the Nazi occupation. Well, this is what Zacchaeus did. He was a tax collector for the Romans, right? He was a tax collector for the occupying force. And not only was Zacchaeus working for the enemy, he was good at it. He was corrupt. This business made him rich. He's taking extra money from you and from me, and he's pocketing some of it. And because of this, he is despised by his fellow countrymen, and he is hated by his neighbors. When Jesus says that he wants to stay with Zacchaeus, the town grumbles in verse 7, saying, He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. What they're saying is, What's he doing? Zacchaeus is the worst, right? Zacchaeus is the worst. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's rich. He's corrupt. He's the worst. But there's another detail. Zacchaeus is short. We see that in verse 3. And he, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. Now, I'm not an anthropologist, so I can't say for certain, but I suspect that for as long as we've been around, being small has always had some disadvantages. Smaller kids... Shorter kids are easy targets for bullies. They're easier to pick on. They're easier to push around. And what starts young carries into middle school and then into high school and into adulthood. 
The shorter, the smaller you are, the less likely you are to be picked for the sports team, the less likely you are to be voted for president, the less money you will actually make in your lifetime. Just Google height and income inequality, and you will see all kinds of supporting evidence and data to back this up. The smaller you are, the less money you're going to make. And Zacchaeus was short. And based on that little bit of evidence, I think it's safe to say that he was probably picked on. He was probably picked last. And he was probably pushed over. And here's why this is significant. Kids who are bullied often become bullies themselves. The abused often become abusers. Another man who got bullied a lot as a kid was a short man by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte. And they have a complex named after him. Right? To compensate for his size, Napoleon adopted an aggressive and domineering attitude. He was notoriously belligerent right? to make up for his small size. And maybe that was true of Zacchaeus too. Maybe that's why he wound up in this position of a tax collector. Maybe that's why he ended up banging on people's doors and demanding their money and squeezing them for all that they got so he could work for the rich and the powerful too. Maybe that's why. This is the man that we are introduced to in verse 2. Behold, there's a man named Zacchaeus. Look at him. He's a tax collector. And not just a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector. He is the worst. He's rich and mighty, but he's also poor in friendship, and he's puny. Look at him. Look at him just trying to force his way through the crowd to see Jesus. He can't do it. He's too small. Look at him, jumping up and down, trying to get a better look over people's shoulders. Can't do it. He's too small. Look at him, crouching down on the floor, trying to peer through the windows, the cracks between our knees, just coughing up dust. And now look at him. Verse 4, this mighty mouse of a man running down the road and climbing a tree so that he can finally see. These details in verse 4 are full of, signific- are full of significance. They not only show us the great lengths that Zacchaeus was willing to go to see Jesus, they also show us the great price that he was willing to pay to see Jesus. See, even in our casual culture, you will never see a grown man in business attire running and then climbing a tree. And their culture was not as casual as ours. But this is what Zacchaeus does. And this costs him. It costs him his dignity. Running and climbing a tree costs him his dignity. It costs him his pride. And in so doing, he opened himself up to all sorts of ridicule, to more bullying, which he was probably accustomed to. Running and climbing up trees, that's what little kids do. That's what little boys do. And that's probably what Zacchaeus was called a lot. Little boy. But here is this little man, right? This little boy climbing a tree. 
This is something he may be resented, but now he just doesn't care. Say what you will, say what you want. This guy wants to see Jesus, wants to see him with his own set of eyes. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. People who have tried to live life on their own, who have thrown away their map and their compass, and who don't have a freaking clue where they are. They don't know why they're here on this planet. Maybe they don't know why they're here on this campus. Maybe they don't know why they're here tonight. He's come to save people who feel stuck or in the dark, who've gotten themselves in trouble and who don't know how to find a way out. Those are the kinds of people that Jesus has come for. People like you, people like your roommate or your roommates, people like me. And here he comes. Here he comes. Here he comes walking down the road. He's passing through your city. He's passing through your campus. But here's the thing. If you want to see him, if you want to catch a glimpse of him, you've got to be willing to humble yourself and to swallow some pride. You've got to be willing to climb a tree and to not give a rip what other people might say when they see you there. You've got to be willing to go out on a limb for Jesus. You've got to be willing to look like a fool sometimes. You've got to be perceived as a child. You've got to be seen as weak and ineffectual. Ever since I was a little boy, I wanted to get good grades. I wanted to impress my parents, and then I wanted to impress my peers. And so I worked really hard at it. I got straight A's in high school, except for that sophomore bio class. I've told you about that. I failed that one. But with that exception, I got straight A's in high school. Um, I went on to college, CU Boulder, and I got straight A's there. Dean's list every semester, National Key Honor Society, Phi Beta Kappa, graduate summa cum laude. But remember how I prefaced this. I said I wanted to get good grades because I wanted to impress my parents, and then I wanted to impress my peers. I didn't want to be smart, per se. I wanted to be seen as smart. I didn't want to be smart necessarily. I just wanted to be seen that way. And this desire, not to be smart, but to be seen as smart, prevented me from becoming a Christian for quite some time. It's not because Christianity is stupid, irrational, or anti-intellectual. It's not. But in the circles that I was running in, which I assume is very similar to the circles that you are running in, Christianity is seen as stupid, irrational, anti-intellectual. And for those reasons, I simply did not want to be seen with it or to be seen near it. I didn't want to climb that tree. All of that changed for me uh, after college. I had to leave some of those circles. I had to travel to some far-off places. I had to get lost. And then I had to be found. 
I started to see the bankruptcy of some of the beliefs uh, that I had been holding on to right after college. I started in places like India and Nepal and Bangladesh. I began to see that the world's problems were not just out there, but a lot of them originated in here too, that I was part of the problem. It wasn't just with people out there. I saw greed and narcissism and envy, all those things in my own life, hypocrisy. It was in here too. I started to see my sin, though I wouldn't have called it that yet at the time. I also saw in my travels some pretty remarkable Christians in Africa moving to some pretty awful places to love people who were not their own. And seeing all of these things, sort of the world's problems out there and in here, and also seeing Christians doing some pretty remarkable things, I wanted to start to see Jesus. Up to this point, I was kind of like Zacchaeus. I had heard some rumors I had heard some reports, but I had never actually seen the man. I'd actually never seen God, Jesus, right with my own eyes. In order to do that, in order to see him with my own eyes, I had to climb a tree. I had to go out on a limb, which meant I had to go to church. I had to get a Bible, and then I had to start reading it. I had to meet Christians in coffee shops one-on-one and ask them questions about Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 and a lot of other things that happened after. I had to be seen seeing Jesus. And sure enough, I was seen as stupid at the time. I had some friends and some family members who thought I was stupid for checking out Jesus. Some of them may still think this way. I know some of them still think this way. They called me names. They told me I was a fool. They told me I was committing intellectual suicide. They told me I was flushing my degree down the toilet. They told me I was throwing my life away. But here's the thing. If you wanna see Jesus, you gotta climb a tree. You got to go out on a limb, just like Zacchaeus did. You got to swallow some pride, and you got to open yourself up to some ridicule. Right? You got to be willing to be seen by society as silly or stupid or weak. You got to be willing to suffer a little or a lot of ridicule so that you can see Jesus with your own two eyes. And this is hard. I'm not going to say it's not, it's hard. We don't want to be seen these ways. We carefully craft our resumes and our Instagram feed to project beauty and perfection and strength, not weakness or silliness or failure. But Jesus says in order to see him and in order to enter into his kingdom, you must be willing to be seen that way. The door to God's kingdom is a narrow one, which means that you've got to stop puffing yourself up and you need to swallow your pride. He also says 
that whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child is not going to enter it. You need to be yay high, right, to enter in. Lower than this, not taller, right? You don't need to step on your tippy toes or to reach higher to enter in. On the contrary, you need to humble yourself. You need to lower yourself, right, to enter in this door, this door. We need to come in our finitude and humility. We need to come in our weakness and not some pseudo-strength. We need to come needy because that is what kids are. They are needy. Willa is always asking me, Daddy, feed me. Daddy, tuck me in. Daddy, wipe my butt. Right? She needs me for everything. Right? Because she's a kid. Because she's a kid. And we need to come like children. Messy. With dirt on our knees and stains on our shirts. Right? Cheerios stuck in our hair. We need to come curious, not having all of the answers because we don't. And we need to come with our mistakes because we got lots of them. We need to come as children because that is what we are and not as we pretend to be. This season of my life, um, I've suffered a lot of sadness and misfortune. I shared some of that with you a couple of weeks ago. I talked to you a little bit about a lot of the deaths that have rocked my family. Um, The death of my opa, and then the death of a cousin, and then the death of my dog. But also sort of in the season that I've been in, I've I've worked closely with somebody who has had a personal and sort of a professional meltdown. And there's been a big mess that's been spilled over my life. Um, Some of that mess has been internalized. I've tried very, very hard to mop it up and to project to you and to the world that everything's okay, that I'm okay. But the truth is, I'm not, right? Some of these things have just gotten inside of me and consequently, I'm just not working right. Some of you also know that about a month ago, I spilled coffee on my laptop. And that coffee came right over right, all the keys. It was right before Wednesday Night Fellowship. I was reaching for the sermon that I had just hit print, and I was grabbing it, knocked the coffee over, splashed over. I didn't have a towel on hand, so I grabbed a shirt, and I dabbed it on the keys, and I thought I had gotten it all. I said, man, that was a close call. We got to this room right here, Setting up the computer so we could project this, right? And the letter E stopped working on the keyboard. It took about an hour for the letter E to stop working. And I kind of need the letter E, right? It's in my password. Letter K I could have done without, but I need the letter E. 15, sorry, Kyler. (laughs) 15 minutes later, the whole left side of the keyboard went out, and then two minutes after that, the whole thing just shut down, blacked out. I've been reflecting on that 
And I feel like Jesus has used it as an illustration to kind of show me where I'm at. That I'm sort of like the laptop with the broken E. There's been a lot of mess. A lot of things have sort of spilled over my life and I've tried to clean it up. And yet, despite my best efforts, right, some of that gets internalized. And consequently, I'm not working. I'm not fully functional. And because my E is not working, I feel like I've dropped the ball this semester as your campus pastor. I've always said that RUF is sort of like a five-ball job and I'm just a four-ball juggler. <laughs> there's always, it feels like there's like something that I've had to just sort of let go, like a ball that I've just had to drop. But this season, this semester, I feel like I've been holding on to one ball and I've looked at four on the floor. There are some of you in this room I just haven't had the opportunity yet to get coffee with, despite I would have loved to have been able to do that at this point in the semester to get to know you better. Some of you I just don't know all that well. I feel like I've failed in some ways as a campus pastor this semester. And some of you will be kind, be like, no, 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 you're doing fine. But I feel that. Just the other night, on Sunday night, I woke up at 2 a.m. I could not get back to sleep. When I closed my eyes, all I could see was sort of a, a parade with the devil sort of marching up front, sort of marshalling all of my missteps and miscalculations and mistakes Right, this semester before me, he was pointing to me and just, I, I had that picture of me just sort of with one ball and looking at four on the ground and him showing that to me. And I think in situations like that, I used to argue with him and be like, no, you're wrong. I'm awesome. I'm crushing it. We had an amazing fall retreat, which we did. It was great. But I would point to things like that just to try to prove the devil wrong. But you know what is strangely comforting? Not doing that. When the devil is showing me my failure and showing me standing there with just one ball and four on the floor, you know what's strangely comforting? Just saying you're right. So what? Yeah, I've, I've dropped the ball, or I've dropped the balls this semester. You're right. I'm not going to argue. Because you know why? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save people who drop balls. Jesus came to seek and to save people who fail and who make mistakes and who don't have it all together. So what are you going to say to me, devil? I'm going to go to Jesus now. So what? This is what it means to go to Jesus. This is what it means to climb the tree, right? To go out on a limb, to be willing to be seen as stupid or to be seen as a failure. Because listen to what Jesus says to Zacchaeus and to you and to me when we do. He says, hurry and come down, for I must stay with you today. Come down quick. <laughs> I need to stay with you today. See, when we go out on a limb for Jesus, Jesus quickly enters into our lives and enters into our homes. <laughs> and he makes himself comfortable there.
This is what we need to do to get the gospel. We need to climb that tree. We need to go out on a limb. But in closing, I simply want to point out what happens when Jesus enters in. In Jesus' day and age, to enter into somebody's home and to then have a meal with them was a way of communicating to them, you and I are okay. We are all right. You and I are no longer strangers. We're friends. You and I are no longer enemies, right? We're friends. We're family. And this is what Jesus communicates to Zacchaeus. And this is why people are upset. Because Jesus is communicating loud and clear that he's okay with Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus is a sinner. Right? Zacchaeus is a failure. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. He is. But I've come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came, a friend of sinners, like we just sang. He's a friend of failures. Right? He came to reconcile us to God. He came to make outsiders insiders once more. And here's the thing. It's important you don't miss this. He doesn't tell Zacchaeus to get his act together and then he'll come over and then he'll stay with us. He doesn't say, hey, clean your house and then buy some really fancy groceries and then I'll come over for dinner. He says, I want to come over right now. I want to come over for dinner tonight. We can eat whatever leftovers are in your fridge. We can eat leftover pizza from Wednesday night fellowship. I just want to be with you tonight. I want to come over tonight. Don't get all fancy on me. Just let me come in. I want to be reconciled with you tonight. And this is what grace sounds like. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I must. Not like, ah, God the Father is making me. This must is, I have a burning desire to be with you. It's like, When I was in Seattle last week, I must get home to Vermont so I can see Willa again. Jesus is saying, I must be with you. I must stay at your house tonight. See, once, when you realize that that's how Jesus doesn't just talk to this man, but that's how he addresses you, once sort of the grace of that sort of gets into your life, it will change the way that you see God. And it's going to change the way that you see yourself. And it's going to change the way that you see the other failures around you. When Zacchaeus gets a taste of God's grace, he says to him, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And again, it's important that you see the order of operations here. He doesn't say this in order to get Jesus to come in. He's not saying this to get God to say, okay, Zacchaeus, I guess I'll come over. God's already in his house. God's already inside. God did not say, get your life together and then I'll come over. God says, hurry down. I got to stay with you. This cuts to Zacchaeus' heart and it melts him. It changes him on the spot. His transformation is not a cause for Jesus entering in. It's a consequence of it. His transformation is a consequence, not the cause, 
for Jesus coming in. A lot of you are reversing this order. You're trying to clean up your life for Jesus. And that's the way of moralistic religion. You're thinking, I got to do X, Y, and Z before I can get Jesus in my life. I got I to gotta stop smoking, or I got to stop drinking, or I got to stop having sex with my boyfriend or my girlfriend in order to get Jesus into my life. But see what you're doing? You're not willing to go out on a limb. You're not willing to be seen as weak or needy. You're not willing to be seen as a child. You are saying essentially in that moment that you want to be seen as a grown-up who can get their stuff together. But look, you can't. And you won't. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Religion says you need to get your stuff together and then you need to invite God in. But the gospel, the good news about Jesus is different than that. The gospel says let God in. Go out on a limb and then let God in. Because then you're going to see God see you as a child. It's messy. Sort of holding on to this tree for dear life, desperate to be seen, desperate to be noticed, desperate to be rescued. And he is going to take you in. He's going to clean you up. He's going to feast with you. He's going to call you a son of Abraham, right? Daughter of the king. But all of this happens and all the changes that spring from it, they happen on this side of the door with Jesus in, not with him outside. You got to let Jesus in for these transformations to take place. Two questions I want for you to consider as we close tonight. Would you be willing to be seen as stupid by this culture or to be seen as a failure if it meant for you getting to see Jesus? Are you willing to be seen as stupid or seen as a failure if it means that you actually get to see Jesus with your own two eyes? And then the other question I have for you is, would you be willing to let him in? Would you tonight quit trying to clean up your messes on your own, but instead would you let him to come inside and let him clean that mess for you and with you? Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, not the found, the lost. And he says to you tonight, friends, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Let's pray. Father, we confess that um, we don't like to be seen as stupid or as foolish or as silly or as weak and ineffectual. We certainly don't like to be seen as failures. But you've said to us tonight that we need to be seen that way in order to see you. That you've come for lost people. We need to be 
humble. We need to come as kids. And so I pray we would let go of our pretense. I pray we would go out on a limb to see you. And I pray you would enter in and you would clean up the messes of our lives, that we wouldn't do that before you come in, but that would happen because you came in. And um, I pray we'd get just that gospel order right. Lord, you've been kind to me, and I pray you'd be kind to these students. Um, I pray that they would know you to be a friend of sinners. I pray you, they would know you to be their friend. And um, I pray just like for Zacchaeus, that it would lead to a new way of living and just kind of a new way of life. And that being made right with you would also sort of be me being made right with the world. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.